<laughs> Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B coming to you from Hackney. We're in Hackney. We are Hackney in Hackney. in London. I've just been traversing the city today doing podcast catch-ups. I have a great guest today, a digital female icon, according to the... <laughs> I, I don't know whether that means she's made of pixels or what, but the icon, <laughs> the Guardian called her that. She's been the head of the DNAD, which is a, f- a fabulous creative institution over here. She's been coding, which is, I guess, writing... Pro- programs on computers since 1994, which to me seems even before computers were around. <laughs> she's a, big, a very staunch feminist, and she set up a really cool organization called She Says, which is a mm-hmm. mentoring organization for, for women. She's a creative director and founder of a very good advertising agency called Mr. President. She's a digital designer. She, you've a long list. You keep yeah, going on. I'm with, I'm, 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 her name is Laura, <laughs> Laura Jordan Bam, and I had it Bambach, right? Bambach, yeah. There's some stuff that you'll see in the, in the blurb to the podcast of some of this one talk in particular that I was very taken by. Maybe we start there, which yeah. was your don't be a dick. Indeed. Talk, which I think was a couple of years ago. <laughs> it and was. It really resonated with me. I, you, 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 you go on about alpha male culture in the advertising yeah. business, which, uh, particularly in New York, I just found extremely debilitating. And also a culture of rats in a cage, I called it, you know, getting mm. people, not, not teamwork, not looking after, being a dick, basically. Yeah. She'd be encouraging people to be dicks. Yeah. <laughs> tell me how you got, tell me, you know, this approach you've taken to sexism and gender imbalance. Yeah. And well, look, I, um, had quite an incredible experience when I was quite young. So 17, living on the outskirts of Sydney on kind of a farm, as it were, on, you know, five acres, coming into town with a friend of mine in the car to go to basically an art summer school. So I looked up in town to this billboard and there's this amazing, like wild computer graphics billboard with the faces of these women on it. Uh, it was actually VNS Matrix, quite a famous cyber feminist group of women mm-hmm. artists based in Australia. Um, and it was their cyber feminist manifesto, which is full of wonderful, wonderful filth, like the clitoris is a direct line to the matrix, etc., etc., etc. So it's their manifesto. They brought a billboard, it was there, and I just went, that's what I want to do. Right. You know, I've, I've always been sort of very good at, I guess, the math side of things. I always wanted to go and do art type things. And I just saw this and went, these two things can come together in a way that's really interesting and provocative and powerful and, you know, I guess speaks to me at that time as a, you know, as a young woman with all of that kind of faith in being able to change the world. Mm. My parents had always been very, very supportive of me, but I I was always, tomboy isn't the right word, but, you know, mm. I wanted to join Scouts and not Girl Guides. My yeah. dad went to the local council and fought for me to be in Scouts. It didn't work. I was the only girl in an entire male league playing football until mm. I was about 15 and then they forced me to play in the girls' team. Aussie rules or soccer? No, soccer. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always doing lots of boy things. All my friends at, at high school were four guys and the school I went to actually in my year had 100 guys and 20 women. So I was always kind of the mm. only woman amongst men. And so I saw a lot of the the wonderfulness actually that men have and then also a lot of that kind of bravado and you know them limiting themselves through this idea of machismo what have you and, and Australia is a very blokey culture is, yeah. yeah and so I went when I saw this poster like that's it I can have a voice and I can talk about these things that I'm really passionate about both you know I want equality for women but I want guys to stop being dicks as mm. well because it's so self-destructive and then the internet happened as I was at university I think in my second year 
when Netscape came out uh, and I was already doing computer art and that kind of thing and mm. just went, that's it, I can actually create my message and put it somewhere where potentially the rest of the world could see it, which was probably about 20 people at the time. Yeah, that's kind of how I got started You've on the internet. You've been doing it a quarter of a century. Has, has there been... <laughs> sorry for putting it like that. Okay. Has there been... Uh, have we made improvements? You know what? Absolutely. So the other thing I was doing in 1994 was met an amazing woman called Rosie Cross. So she founded something called Geek Girl, a cyber-feminist magazine, magazine and, yeah. and website. And she brought me on board and said, look, anything you can learn to do, coding and design and what have you, I'll give you a platform. And so I basically became the designer and coder of the site and of the magazine. She was just such a, again, like this amazing, inspirational, wonderful person. But she just really, really pushed me just to pick up new things and mm. pick up new technologies. You just couldn't find women. You couldn't find women interested in technology, in technology and creativity. If you found a woman, it was a man pretending to be a woman. Yeah. And the conversation was it, it probably for... 10 years after that, maybe even 15 years after, has always been, oh, but we're equal. Like, there is no problem. Feminism was a really dirty word. It was really difficult to get feminist conversations off the ground because yeah. it was like, oh, don't be stupid. You know, we've got the same rights as, you know, the, the same access to stuff as, as any man. Um, when it was blatantly obvious, that's not true. What's happened now? And I think one of the good things that social media has done is allow women to actually speak to each other and go, oh, this happened to me. Oh, actually, that happened to me as well. Oh, I'm not being paid yeah. as much. Oh, actually, it's a massive problem. And all of these things are bubbled to the surface. So I think there are now young women who have grown up and almost adults where that's been the conversation and, and that's this new wave of feminism, which is amazing. Yeah. But for people kind of of my generation, it was deeply uncool. Yeah. yeah. So where we are today, like a good example, we're... Recording this a few months after Gillette had their little mm-hmm. man. Yep. What the what the best? And I used to work on Gillette for many years as a head of planning, yep. and I kind of I wrote a piece about it. I mean, my view on that was nobody, no real man should have a problem with that ad, but a lot mm-hmm. of men did. Uh, yep. The Piers Morgans of this world. Yeah. And there is this underlying kind of group. I don't want to call them. I call I call them <laughs> incels in my and Jordan Peterson followers in my, <laughs> oh my God. in my article, which didn't go down too well. Which is meant as a kind of an ironic joke, but there is this yeah there is this P, Jordan Peterson sort of trying to coach men. It, yeah. It, 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 oh, but, but, but Peterson has a very old school approach to male versus female, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and he. He, he, I mean, I don't like him, but, no. but he has this, you know, 12 steps for life and he believes in the man being the man and the woman being the woman and mm-hmm. the, the, the thing he calls the women chaos and the man's strength and all this kind of stuff. And there's a huge, yeah. huge audience for that, you yeah. know. Where, you know, is, is that going to ever go away or... You know what, I think there are always going to be enormous amounts of people for, for people to achieve equality. Some people need to gain and some people need to step aside. And it doesn't mean that you you're losing out, but I guess it can kind of feel that way from a position of privilege, a position where you feel like you're in that position because of what you've done and not because it's privilege. It's very difficult to step back and go, actually the things that I've got, maybe I haven't earned them. Maybe if I've, even if I've worked really hard and I'm really smart and I've done all these amazing things, maybe the exact thing that I've got, I haven't earned. And maybe someone else has done exactly the same things as me and isn't there because they're a woman, person of color, disabled, etc., etc. 
So I think there is always going to be an enormous amount of discomfort from the people that hold power because that's the way mm. it works. At least now there are conversations around it and actually you're starting to see men calling men out a little bit more. So yeah. it actually made me cry this morning. I was reading the Sydney Morning Herald because I follow the Australian women's Aussie rules. Right. And there's an amazing Carlton player... Mm-hmm. She's fantastic, and one of the news channels posted a picture of her kicking a ball in this like classic Aussie rules pose with like a leg up in the air, yeah. really strong, wonderful. Uh, got so much vitriol and vile abuse from men, pornographic, sexual, just saying that she was a shit player, finding clips of when she'd missed the ball and reposting them underneath, going like women are crap at football, etc. etc. The news outlet took the picture down. Then they got a whole lot of kind of crap for going, well, all you're doing is silencing the woman and not showing her achievements yeah. rather than tackling the abuse. But actually what's happened over the course of the last day or two is this been a huge wave, including in Parliament, of men standing up and going, actually, we've got to call this shit out. Yeah, we do, yeah. Like, we, can't just, we can't just be quiet and we can't just take down the picture of the, the woman and hope mm. it goes away. We've got to call out this bad behaviour. How much of it do you think is buff-driven? Mm. I know some of the people in Gillette who sort of, when they dug a little bit deeper into yeah. all the vitriol, that it was kind of organised. They're, they're saying it wasn't as dramatic a kind of backlash as... It, you know what, yeah. I, I, I believe that, you know, yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely believe that, I think. It wasn't that good an ad anyway. But no, I mean, it wasn't a fantastic, it yeah. wasn't the most amazing ad, but... It was a statement that they have the right to make as one of the mm. biggest brands yeah, from yeah, A billion men. men every day use, use Gillette brands. Yeah, and women, mm, actually. And women, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, and women probably buy most of those products for the men. Um, no. Also true, about 40% of sales are from women in supermarkets, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, th- I thought for that, you know, it was bold and brilliant and whether or not it even increases sales. It's interesting to see how brands are now jumping properly wholeheartedly into going we need to be doing more than just selling we've got mm. a responsibility to fix some of the shit that we might have caused or tell me how you got to to forming she says and when you did that and what drove you to do that because you got into the digital environment yeah. mm-hmm. with the geek girl and all this stuff were you starting to experience even back then when you were just starting off your career the sexism and feeling you want to do something about it? Yeah, or? no, ab- absolutely. I've always been very passionate about gender equality, actually. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that has really sort of driven me across everything that I've done always. And when I came here, you know, there are a couple of things. I guess when I was in Australia and I was doing Geek Girl and you would see it and you would feel it and it was very uncool to say anything about it, but... It was so tangible because because it's such a bloke such a blokey culture. As I said, when I came here, everything it's weird. Like in Britain, everything is a little bit more hidden or yeah. passive aggressive or politer or something. Yeah, like. kind of politer, but still kind of mean. So it took, menacing. Exactly. So it took me a little while to get around it. And again, you know, most of my friends when I moved here were guys. But yeah, I would see it all the time. But it would just kind of fuel me to go basically. Well, fuck you. (laughs) I'm just going to be better at you than this. Um, And so it was that kind of fighting spirit, I guess, that drove me. I realised when I was sort of heading up a department at an agency, I had a friend, Ali. uh, She was creative director at another agency, digital agency. And we knew each other because we were always the only two women on any digital panel. So it was like, hello, woman. Hello, other digital woman. 
Um, and then we found out we lived next or near each other. And so we went for a drink one night and said, you know, we've got to change it because she was very similar to me. She's Brazilian. She grew up in a very macho culture before she came here. And she kind of learned how to fight, take it on the chin. And But we realized that like so many women here in the UK, it was really, really hard and that we needed to do something to help girls. I'll say girls because, you know, girls at high school, young women yeah. at university, then into the industry, we had a look at, you know, the art and design courses and what have you. And 51% of the people taking the courses are women. And we had zero people even putting their CVs forward to our agencies. And they were reput- like were they were they very going? cool agencies. Well, this is the question. So the question was, where the fuck are they going if they're not entering creative departments? Um, there, a lot of them go and went into production. A lot of them went into teaching. A lot of them just went and did something else. But we were thinking, well, what is so wrong with our industry that the women just disappear and they don't even give it a go? So we had one meeting, and actually from that, what we got from that is that the network of the women that we had in the room, there was about 20 of us, there was something really magical in getting those people together face-to-face and talking talking about the issues and putting plans together. And so we went, okay, we'll do another one, and we'll do another one. And then she says was sort of born organically from that, and then suddenly we're doing a an event every month and suddenly we're getting 100 200 people at events and uh we're finding out what those these causes are and what's holding women back you know it's so you met so you said so it's a mentoring thing as well so someone signs up absolutely and so then we you do, appoint someone to work with them yeah so we do a couple of things and we do different things in different cities so we're now in about 41 cities really? around the world oh, okay. We've got forty thousand members mm-hmm. and actually our newest one which will be city 41 hopefully it's going to be Afghanistan. Um, wow. But that's sort of just on the table, so it'll be a while before that And there's issues going. in Afghanistan right now with the American pullout and the, yeah. the deal with the Taliban, and that's yeah, not absolutely. going to play well for women at all, I no. don't think, out there. No. It's going to be tough. So, um, yeah, so we do monthly events. Some cities don't do monthly. Like Amsterdam does four a year, but they're massive. Mm. Um, the volunteers that run each city kind of shape it to what they, what's needed. Yeah, we do mentoring. Um, so in London, I think we paired 300 mentors and 300 mentees over the course of last year. Um, and then we do, sp- I guess, sort of bigger and, seminars, yeah. bigger events. There is an issue in our industry with those very, very senior creative jobs. There are very few chief creative officers mm. that are women because they're a little bit, you know, they're kind of show pony-ish jobs and you need to have a bit of a name for yourself. Mm. It's really difficult for women to get the name for themselves. Yeah, I interviewed Rosie Arnold about yeah. this exact point, and she was she also made the observation that you know women get put on women type mm-hmm. products. Most male juries. I, I want to talk to you a little bit later yeah. about Cannes Festival because I, yeah. I, I, I had a similar idea way back um, to do something about shit advertising awards. Yeah, um, but you know, and that the juries are all male. And mm-hmm. I, I, I remember one nice example of this was I was we were doing a campaign for. Uh, we're trying to win awards for P&G in Cannes. Mm-hmm. Let's, not, let's not beat about the bush um, in Saatchi. And we, we went away and we did briefs and everything. But one of the brief, one of the ads we had was for Pampers and it was like a nappy mm-hmm. that was done like a hammock, right? Uh-huh. So, it was a, so it was a nice idea yeah. and uh, all about comfort. And Andy Greenaway came to work with, with us and he looked mm-hmm. at it. It was against a psych black background, you know. So it looked like an ad for PlayStation. Yeah. And he said, the problem with that is it needs to have bunny rabbits and all the kind of stuff that, you know, around it that mm. make it look perfect for a child. 
Like, yeah, because we were making the ad tonally <laughs> yeah. look like what was winning PlayStation, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other observation I had, which and which you know in, was in Sydney, I took charge of an, a- an agency which will remain nameless, um, uh, George Patterson Bates, uh, in two thousand <laughs> in two thousand and seven, and I was CEO there for uh, joint CEO there for a couple of months, and uh, amongst other reasons, it was so it was the only real time that I saw massive. Mm-hmm sexism to the point of like way before me me too or stuff there were yeah. there were women working there who were senior account people who told me that they had uh you know emails from senior management asking them up to their office i mm-hmm. mean it was it was like it was mad yeah right yeah jumping out of females in the car park drunk stuff like that yeah. right and I was saying to the Andrew Sargent, who I worked with, I said, we, like, there's a, this place is... Just, like, a uh, head of Melbourne comes into me, says, oh, how's your new job going? Don't forget, just hire the woman with the big tits and you'll be fine. Like, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, only, yeah, t- yeah. only 10 years ago. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, but I had not experienced <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, uh, you know, there's, a, there's probably a certain amount of it that is boys' club that they keep to themselves. Mm-hmm. But, like, we were, we were sitting in here as the new CEOs going, this is... This is the, and and it, and it was a tinderbox, you know. Yeah. I also was in JWT when the when the um, Aaron uh, scandal broke mm. with the, with with the Argentinian guy, yeah. uh, which was yeah. which was big. Or I, I just left, but I knew her. And there's the you know even in in that instance, this idea that you you don't listen or you you know as she must have been trying yeah exactly to, you, know, you don't punish the guy you look for yeah. what the, the woman yeah she done must wrong. have been she must have been obviously so they they were my sachi and sachi i found very good you know yeah. lot, asia a lot yeah. of female ceos and, and they yeah. were probably the best ceos i've worked with because mm-hmm. they're not there's something more empathetic in, in advertising i think where it's not a, a dick measuring competition which yeah. i found it was in new yeah. york as i said earlier yeah well this you, is the it's the kind of interesting thing is um Coming up through the digital ranks and sub design, there are fewer women, but I would say those businesses, by and large, are much more respectful. Yeah, how's you know, Facebook not, and Google and all those? Are they all better than the ad business or worse? Or uh, they're they're a lot they're a lot better yeah. than than ad business. Um, so what really shook me, you know, she says was started to solve a problem and to actually, you know, to find what actions will actually help more women to get into these roles. So give us some examples of what you believe or the so, action, those actions that you talk about. Yeah, so one of the key things that we do is keep, uh, she says, meetings, the, the monthly ones, women only. Now, this is really weird, but when we've invited guys, because I would love to have guys there and it would be, you know, really interesting. We, you know, we talk about trends, we talk about, we never talk about women's issues, that's key. We always talk about, things that are going to make you boss up when you get back into the office. But you get a lot of women who are suddenly intimidated and they don't ask questions. So it's basically safe space to ask questions. And then that's a weird thing to say, but literally we've tried it and it hasn't worked. So we've had to sort of pull back and not allow men in those monthly meetings. If we're talking about... You mean when men were there... Women stopped asking questions. Um, And I know that's something that obviously women need to work on but it's something that culture needs to work on allowing women to speak and have a voice yeah. and have an opinion and not to be afraid if they don't know something yeah. we do as much as we can to arm them with you know how to run a better agency how to write a better brief how to get to a more creative place how to be comfortable with I- sort of ideas that mm. scare you how to negotiate how to sell your work and um, you know even practical things like 
you know how to run a meeting and that kind of stuff yeah. properly so that you you're heard and not spoken over but a range of ways where women can help and support each other and grow each other and that's where the the mentoring comes yeah. in so whether it's having a body at work and you can speak for each other and help each other to grow or or having a mentor that can help you with these problems so it doesn't feel like your first fuck up is going to you know be your last we get a lot of successful women to come and talk about how they fucked up actually mm. and, um, it's critical yeah, I, I actually find it hard to get women on this podcast. Yeah, like I, I like I have to like, and, and I, it's not for anything other than they go, oh no, one wants to hear my story. I don't really feel comfortable doing. And men are like, yes, let me talk to you about whatever. But isn't that, but isn't and I, I am, I'm not. I, I don't want it to be a quota driven because the no, way no. I do it is you're going to yeah. recommend hopefully three people from, yeah. and that's how I find my guest. Mm-hmm. And as it happens this week, I think I had four women and three men. But yeah. it's hard. And, and and they don't want to. The women don't necessarily want to be on. Yeah. Well, on actually, show. one of the you know, one of the things that we found that spurred she says into being formed actually twelve years ago was I was looking for a junior flash designer for my team, and I had a man and a woman identical CVs, six months experience, straight out of college, both really good colleges. The man came in and went, "I can do it. I've been doing it for six months." And the woman came in and went, "I'm not sure I'm ready for this. I've only been doing it for six." Six months. Oh, I did. The truth. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. However... Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> However, if you're not attuned to the fact that because of culture, not because of a lack of being adequate from women, but you're told from such a young age <coughs> to limit your potential and that you're there in the service of others and mm. you need to know something 100% before you can put your hand up, those effects are, are huge. And so when they say women have got a confidence problem... They do, but it's not one that they've caused. It's one that has been kind of put upon them, and that's that's part of what we try and she says to to help to shift yeah. to get women to go. Oh, yeah, actually, you know, I, can, I mean, I is there also that. though a sort of a spotty geek male twenty four hours behind a computer in this business, mm-hmm. right? They're in the in the in the coding and gaming and all yeah. that stuff. It's, it's women have better things to be doing sometimes. Right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, I mean, you know. But women can do that too. Like, no, of that's course, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's is the there thing. numbers? Is is there kind of a is is that part of the no, numbers thing? No, no, they're just. Um, but you know, it starts if we're talking about coding, and there's been a lot of talk around kind of STEM getting more, you know, girls to yeah. get into STEM subjects. Again, it, it's this limiting behaviour where there, so many little subtle things tell women that they can't achieve or that. They're not going to be very good being an engineer or being a scientist or studying no, maths or doing any yeah. of those kinds of things. And I'm just very lucky that I was super stubborn and just every time I came across that, just went, oh, fuck you. I'm just going to do it really, really well. well so there, um, are, there is also women who I've spoken to who, you know, about this issue specifically also in the advertising mm-hmm. business who felt maybe they had to become, you know, they had to, play at the big boy so especially in, in, in Australia where it's yeah. the John Singletons and the colourful <laughs> racing identities and uh-huh. these guys who are out yeah. punching each other in the face oh, after a few drinks <laughs> and yet tempered with the idea that I felt I believe women have much more empathy than men mm-hmm. and they're kinder and all this kind of stuff <laughs> that's where I despaired I think when I went over to America with the with the sort of the, the, the orthodontically perfect bosses with the braces mm-hmm. who were absolute dicks you know behind the scenes and i i felt it an awful lot more in in australia than i did say in asia 
Yeah. Is there? Is it? Yeah. I mean, is it? Is it? When? When does it become time to close down? She says. Uh, when there's equal representation within uh, within yeah. agencies within creative. Where are we at now? Sixty forty or in creative departments, we're at about. I want to say it's under twenty. It's like maybe about eighteen okay. percent women in creative departments. But Suits you more you move women. to, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. It's again for probably some. Wrong yeah, exactly. Yeah. Producers more women because yeah, they're the yeah, ones yeah. that make shit happen. Um, planners seem to... I don't know. That's a good question about planners, actually. Well, my experience strategists. would be... Certainly, I worked on P&G for many years, so there was a lot yeah. of women because of the, so much of their products. or They tend to want mm. to put women uh, on. Mm. And again, on Gillette, we had three female planners mm-hmm. not on the Gillette male side. Yep. But I did an awful lot of the groups because it was it was it, it, when you I found that men wouldn't open up to a, a woman mm. researcher in group situations as much as they would with a guy, and you can get some of that bloke. You know, but you know that sounds maybe sexist and not fair. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, I don't think by the same standard I could go in and, and moderate a sanitary towel um, mm. group. Mm. I mean, I would I would feel a woman would be far better <laughs> to yeah. do that than me. Right? And I also think I would be intimidating. Mm. Women wouldn't talk, wouldn't open up as much as yeah. they would to. to. Yeah. So I'd say planner planning is probably, in my view, slightly more female. I yeah. think female make better planners than men. Mm. I think, in my experience. But um... so tell me about the Cannes Festival. What was that all about? Yeah. So again, that's that's something that I co-founded with Simon Gill, who was my was joint ECD with him at LBI many mm-hmm. years ago, and. I don't know, can always, I have a love-hate relationship with it. It's good to go, some interesting things have happened. However, that week itself, it's full of debauchery and flagrant sexism. Yeah. Like, way too much booze and uh, that, that, it's just, it's a bit icky. (laughs) I went went nine or ten years in a row and I'm over it now. I think it jumped the shark two years ago. It's so Mm. flabby and the amount of awards, it's like, yeah. There's thousands of awards given there. There should only be twelve awards or ten awards at the Oscars, you know. And then leave, mm. you know, leave, leave, leave the best use of. Um, I, I was waiting for a best uh, vi- video entry award award. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So Simon and I were talking about it. We went the year that the crash happened, two thousand and eight, right. which is I think when. Yes, yeah, so we must have started this in two thousand eight. And uh, we stayed on a campsite about half an hour's drive out of Cannes because the agency didn't have any money, but we felt so terrible about spending money there when we had such an amazing team of people back <laughs> in the office who'd actually made the work. And if any creative director thinks that they're solely responsible for making a piece of work ever yeah, again, right. it's Don't just not true. Yeah. And so we thought when we came back, like, what can we do to bring some of that Cannes spirit back to London but also to celebrate all the people that actually make shit happen yeah. and also the people who would make shit happen if they were given a chance, but for whatever reason, again, mm. haven't, haven't been given the opportunities. Um, so we started at Cannes Festival, um, and it runs the same week as Cannes, and it's been running now well, since then. Where does it happen? We've kind of moved it around a little bit. The hospital club supported it for a couple of years. One Is it year. one night or over a no, week? No, it's over the whole week. Okay. And then last year we did something a bit different in that we got a number of interesting sort of creative groups from around Europe to get involved. And so they would mm-hmm. sort of run an event or sponsor an event or bring together some interesting people from 
from the industry and do things. And it took off a little bit in Eastern Europe, again, I think, because you can't afford to go to Cannes That's if you're, ridiculous. you know, from What Romania. do you give as awards for? Do you have to enter? No, we don't. So uh, we used to do a student award, yeah. but we don't do awards at all anymore. It's just about the... Speeches giving, and... Yeah, talks and, and like networking. Many people and, go to it. Oh, I don't know, thousands. Really? Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's really good. You have this, uh, like when I was doing my research on you, mm. you have this great ability to be matter-of-fact about setting things up, which are mm. like very <laughs> hard to do, right? Yeah, and yeah, they are. Yeah, no, no, they are. They're very hard to do, but they're not as hard to do with other people as they are Suffer, on your own. As suffering what, what you're trying to <laughs> So you set, yeah, up your exactly. own, you set up your own ad agency. So I want to yeah. talk to you about this. We were talking on the way here. Yeah. What caused you to set up your own place? Yes. And when did you do that? This is, um, Laura is in charge of Mr. President. She is the creative director and founder. Indeed. Chief creative officer. Chief yeah. creative officer. Sorry. Yeah. Because, you know, I can give myself yeah. the title that I want. What's, so. the <laughs> What's the difference between chief creative officer and creative director? Well, in an agency the size of us, not a huge amount, but, you know, ridiculously, it does kind of help things like meeting big clients in the States and that kind yeah. of stuff. So that's really what it's for. Um, I'd like to be vice president if you want to hire me as your sure, planning head. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so my two business partners, Claire and Nick, had kind of stepped away from their agency, Dare, and were working with a client under the parent company. And I was helping them find a third partner because they were sort of making a shift into actually becoming a proper creative agency and just realised that it should be me. And I, I, re, the reason that I realised that, <laughs> that it was the right thing to do is they both fundamentally believe in what I believe in, which is creating work that leaves a legacy that has value, creating purposeful work for brands, working with brands whose products are actually really good to be able to celebrate them, looking progressively at how we might, because, you know, advertising, we are, our superpower is taking really complex things and making them really simple so that yeah. everyone understands them. Yeah. That's an amazing power to have if you're trying to also shift the dial on how... Something good. People are, exactly, yeah. how people of colour are portraying advertising or yeah. whatever it is. Climate change, which is mm. the big one, because we don't have 30 summers left. We've got, what, we've got 12 now, don't we? 11 yeah, yeah. now. That's fucking terrifying, and particularly as someone who has an 11-year-old going, yeah. he's not going to make it into his mid-20s mm. unless we all get God. behind actually sorting yeah, ourselves out. The Onion out, so. had the best headline, which was apparently a global warming issue from 2006, still a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, I'm glad they're calling it sort of a... a Climate catastrophe now, not just mm. climate change, because it is a catastrophe. But you know, what we, do you think we have to do? I mean, I mean, apart from the things that they say, I mean, like even as an Irishman, yeah. the farming lobby and the you know yeah. we, we've got to stop eating meat and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how you begin to plan to do that, but you know, <laughs> I, I had an idea that maybe restaurants can only serve meet on two or three days a week and that have you seen down. simon emstel's no. um film he's got a film it uh, was on iplayer it's called, it's called carnage and i think it's wonderful it's basically set in the near future once meat eating has become such it's it's basically like smoking right. so they've got you know sort of meat eaters anonymous and they've got all the old yeah. people and the younger people are going god i can't imagine they ever 
did this and sort of forgiving yeah. their parents for ever having eaten meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really funny that, yeah. and also really brutal. But yeah, look, that is, like it or not, that is actually one thing that we can all do to help with climate change. You know, obviously, plastic bottles, which I now refill, but, you know, up until recently, I went, oh, they're plastic bottles, but they're recyclable. That's fine. I'll put them in the recycling. It'll be fine. And thinking I'm doing something good. Just don't buy them. Exactly. You know, try to buy cotton clothes because the little tiny microfibers that come off um, uh, non-natural oh, yes, fabrics, yeah, yeah it, it are in the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So, I mean, there's a lot. Do you think we will go? I mean, I, I think we're fucked in terms of. I think we're fucked in terms of plastics. I think we'll probably yeah. all start dying earlier of cancer. <sighs> yeah, but I ha- it's bleak. It's really bleak. <laughs> I know, but and it's also but, bleak being a woman. Yes. <laughs> but it's like, come on, you know, we're we're just getting there. We're just, you know, we're just starting to have ourselves heard, and then suddenly it's the end of the world. Um, and you guys fucked it up. Yeah. No, but um, what I try to do in my personal life mm. is try to limit my impact, except for flying, which is something that I'm starting to feel terrible about. But still, well, I mean, I, the, work the flying thing. I have a friend of mine. My, 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 to be brother-in-law mm. who is very careful about his carbon footprint and his flying puts me to shame there's also this thing though really that big corporations need to mm-hmm. be and that is where we whatever you do in this kitchen yeah. is dwarfed yeah. by the shit they're doing yeah but whatever whatever, whatever seven billion people do in their kitchens agree no them. I agree I agree but like so, but yes like, I, 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 see, I see your point companies and all yeah. these guys I mean, yeah. and, they, and we, we refuse to tax the shit out of them and make know, it hard know, for them, you know? I know, but see, this is where I feel like brands and advertising can make a difference mm. because we can not only talk to the big companies yeah. and, you know, get them to change and get them to see the value of doing things better, oil companies and how you, how you even start, yeah. but... Well, I was, looking at, I was looking at Macron with the oh, yellow, yeah. yellow yeah. vest thing, right, which is basically a backlash against his policy of... Hiking up the mm. uh, was it diesel or petrol yeah. prices and letting yeah. the public pay for it. Yeah. And I was saying to one of my friends in Paris, why why couldn't he get the in, the levy on the producers of the petrol and not pass it all the way down to the consumer? Oh well, uh, you know, blah 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 yeah. blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah. Fudgy yeah. capitalist answer. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why he couldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, this probably you know Enron will pull out of France. Okay. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> so you're. I want to. I'm going to link to your yeah. uh, your speech about don't be a dick. But I loved yeah. it because it was what I would have. You know. <laughs> it was you, interesting. You have a moral the, uh, compass in there. Don't make shit. It's got trust. Uh, mm-hmm. Stick to your ethics. If you know, don't work with clients. It's going to cost you money to be principled. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you feel that you, you know your Mr. President? Is it hard? To it is out? really hard, yeah. and it's really hard at the moment. The economy in Britain is not great. Yeah. And we have a major chasm. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it's been it's been tough for everyone. And on top of that, the industry is changing really rapidly. Well, traditional agencies are collapsing like a flan in a cupboard. Yeah. As Eddie Izzard says. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a company that a company I'm sort of working a little bit with in Dublin called mm. Company of Huskies, who were a digital agency. Mm. And they've kind of judo-rolled their way into getting most of the main mm-hmm. stuff because as clients don't use the word digital anymore but they have got in the door that mm-hmm. way and they're more nimble and they're more agile and they're yep. probably more principled and they're less no you know yeah. that's the thing you know what my experience of digital agencies was 
a lot of freedom, a lot less hierarchy, yeah. a lot more respect, a lot more camaraderie, a lot more collaboration. As you said, that agile, the answer doesn't have to be something that's pointless. You could actually solve a problem with mm. the answer. You know, a lot of... Lo- lot of and respect for staff. Respect I mean, for staff, like, respect sake. for the clients, and also empathy, because if you're making digital products... Your key thing as a designer or creative is to remove all the friction and make it as joyful for the person yeah. using it to use as possible. So you really get to understand and get under the skin of other human beings and put yourself in the feet of other people in a way that I don't think creative, traditional creatives have had to do before. So I think you know traditional creativity, and uh, you know, Mr. P, we have a blend. Uh, my AC, ECD John is extraordinary. He's he's uh, the fourth partner of the agency and he's. He's come through that traditional agency world, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Porter and where have you. He's absolutely brilliant. He knows things that I don't know. Like, I c- couldn't have been as funny as him or write a pun or write a headline that no, was so. a sharp because yeah, yeah. that's not what I've done. Yeah, yeah. But what I can do is I can really, really understand people. And I think bringing those two things together is really magical. I wrote about it for, I had this, I had this kind of satire article that I write for the Irish trade rag. I don't like you saying that. <laughs> About I, I did it about the Scrabble. I play Scrabble on my phone, and every, after every move, Scrabble give me an app that's thirty uh-huh. seconds with a little X after five seconds, and I always yeah. close it yes. after. I don't watch it, <laughs> and I was doing it around this the Kia, some Kia car, this bell end jumping off a cliff, mm. ticking off his bucket list. I hope you didn't make it. And by the end of the week, yeah. I have seen the same ad. Oh, sorry, the same five seconds opening of the ad, <laughs> probably. A thousand times, yeah. To the point where I wanted, well, to the point where first of all, I will never buy a Kia car, yeah. As a result, yeah. Doing the exact opposite yeah. of what they want me to do, right? And what I want to, what, what, what I was basically getting at is the algorithm is becoming king. It doesn't really matter what you do in Mr. P creatively, mm. as long as well, I mean, of course it does. I'm mm. just saying this is the argument. As yeah. long as it's delivered in vast blobs of crap, <laughs> like I get, right? <laughs> Five second blobs, and uh, this goes way back to like when I was in Asia. Uh, I was working on Toyota, mm. and they did a sponsor back before smartphones yeah. of the soccer, and that's a huge footprint: India, Thailand, Indonesia, mm-hmm. Singapore. And we had one shitty ad that Sachi made, and it was a four out of ten bad ad, right? <laughs> and they, as part of the yeah. sponsorship deal, they got every ad break mm-hmm. they could. They had a sixty second ad yeah. in it. And they put the same ad in. <laughs> and you know the way yeah. Super Saturday works yeah. for real soccer fans. They're going, we watch the first game, we watch the second yeah, game. Uh-huh. And I said, we need to be clever here. We need to say, why don't we get all the great award-winning Toyota ads that we've done in yeah. Saatchi? And just, it doesn't matter if, oh, the product's not available. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter if the product's not <laughs> People available. People enjoy it more. Exactly. Go, Toyota, they're great. And I was, the, 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 the head of the Toyota account was thinking, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. And he didn't do it. Yeah. See, I think um, Mark Reed actually, didn't he? He stood up and gave... Um, no, it was Keith Reed, wasn't it? Stood up and was talking to Mark about um, creativity. I think in the last couple of weeks saying right. WPP lost its way a bit mm. creatively. Yeah. We need more We need more creative, you know. Are you for sale, by the way? No. Oh. <laughs> no. Definitely not to WPP. Um what did he say? Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but it was well, giving him... question through you there. But it was, uh, it was giving him a bit of a... <laughs> it was giving him a bit of a bollocking about just the fact that creativity's gone out the window. And you're right, the, the, there is a rise of 
the algorithm, the, yeah. the placement yeah. and personalization, which isn't really personalization, yeah. um, is, is king. And it does deliver some results. If you put amazing stuff and then you use the technology and you build on it, mm. you can do incredible things. But it's so rare to see an ad that is being delivered programmatically that's had any thought put into it, which is mm. why they're so crap and why people turn them off. My partner has a little girl called Ayla, who's eight, mm. and she's a feminist. Excellent. And she's also not doing her communion this year because she's an atheist, and that's very hard to be in Ireland. Yeah. Before we go, what would you say to her? Oh, what I advice would, would you give her? Just give her a big hug and say, stick with what's in your heart. You can't go wrong if you feel like you're doing the right thing on the inside. Thank you very much for being on the <laughs> It's such a pleasure. Oh.